Hello, and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. And before we get started today, I think that it is really, really important to take a moment to to really talk about and to uh, express my deep, deep sadness for the most recent mass shooting, the children who were murdered in uh, Texas and the child who actually committed the murder, murders. Last week's show, we dealt a little bit with um, the shooting that occurred in Buffalo. And then also there was a shooting that occurred in California as well. And in that, we were talking about where racism starts, where it begins. And I think it's really important for us to take a look at our country as a whole and to see where we need to step up to the plate in all areas. And so what we're talking about when we look at mass shootings, we're obviously we're talking about gun violence. And we're talking about this idea of people saying, what's my right? And last week on the show, we actually took a little bit of a look at where this Second Amendment came from in the first place, the right to bear arms, and how it is deeply connected to racism, how it's deeply connected to a system that wanted to perpetuate superiority over another group of individuals. The militia, the intent of the militia was really about the right to bear arms to protect your property, including enslaved people, and not wanting enslaved people, actually. We didn't have the right to bear arms, but to be able to defend yourself against anyone who was against enslavement. And so we really need to take a look at the history of the Second Amendment, but even more so, we need to take a look at this idea of our rights per se, and then we exclude taking care of one another. Sometimes we might have a right to something, but what's our responsibility? It is horrifying that 19 to 21 people, I don't even, I can't even remember at this moment what the count is, what the last count is of the number of people, children who were killed, babies who were killed, and really children who are committing these crimes. Children who who can't buy alcohol, but they can get firearms. We need to take a really deep look at that. And so I know that this show is about dismantling racism, but again, when I take a look at at least three of the mass shootings in the last uh, 10 days, all people of color. So to me, does it have something to do with dismantling racism? Yes, it does. But what it also has something to do with is our ability to take a stand, no matter what the issues are. We have to be courageous We have to be committed and we have to say enough is enough. Our children are hurting. So even if we can't do it for ourselves and one another, let's do it for our children. Let's decide that we want to leave a world differently for our children than we are growing, than they're growing up in now. And that as we leave, as we prepare to leave, hopefully not tomorrow, But as we prepare to leave a legacy for our children, what is that legacy that we want to leave? And I, for one, want to leave a legacy of saying that I stood up for the things that I believed in. That's why I do the work on dismantling racism is because I'm standing up because I believe that we all should have a life where we can feel fulfilled and that our basic needs can be met. And as it relates to gun violence, I believe that we all should be able to live a life where we don't have to worry about whether we're going to go into a a store to shop for groceries. 
and that we are going to be a target because of the color of our skin, or that someone who has some beef with the world is going to run in and shoot us up. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that town is feeling like in Texas, but not just the town. I cannot imagine what the children who will experience the aftermath of this killing, what are they going to deal with day in and day out? As a parent, I think about what it must have been like to say goodbye to your children and to shoo them out the door or to rush them into their classroom because they were running late and then not see them at the end of the day. I can't fully imagine it. I cannot fully imagine it. I live in the area of Connecticut. And Sandy Hook happened 10 years ago. And I know what it was like to be a mother of young children and what it was like to even just be in the same state and to even remember all of the security that started to um, the, the, the take place after that and the children living in fear during a drill. I can remember the pit in my stomach when it was explained to me what the drill was like. And this is what our children are growing up with, wondering if someone is going to come into their school and shoot and kill them. Is this the life that we want for our children? I don't want that life for them. And I pray that you want something different for all the children of the world, whether you have your own or not. Do you want something different for teachers who have to go into the classrooms? This is a horrible event. And so just like dismantling racism, just like when a black and brown person is killed and there's an uproar in the nation and people talk about, I'm praying for you, I'm sending out love and light, the answer to the prayers, the answer to the prayers is you, you making a commitment that you're going to do more than pray. Because from where I sit, faith without works is dead. And from where I sit, you are the manifestation of God, the sacred, the universe, your hands your feet, your mouth, your mind. You are divinity itself. So you can pray all you want to, but until you actively decide that you are going to do something to change the laws about guns, mass shootings will continue. And we only hear about some of the mass shootings. There actually have been about 16 mass shootings to take place in the last 10 to 15 days. And we don't know about them. Because we don't hear about the mass shootings that are taking place in impoverished areas every day. In some impoverished areas, I don't mean all of them. But we know enough about what happens in inner cities. We know enough, but we have to decide that we want to care enough to do something about it. So my plea to you, those of you who listen to this show every week or listen to it often enough, you know my stance on racism by now. But my plea to you as it relates to gun violence, write to your representatives, the people that you vote for, and tell them no more. And decide whether you're going to continue to vote down your party line for people who are not doing enough to protect our children in this country and not doing enough to end racism in this country, not doing enough to promote racial equity. 
you have the power to do that. And so I invite you to decide right here and right now what you will do to end mass shootings. Because it's gotten to the point that we hear about it so much that we've become numb. But we have to say no more. Because our babies deserve to live a life that's not wrought with anxiety. Because believe you me, there will be long-term effects that are going to show up from what has happened in the last two days. There will be long-term effects of anxiety, depression, feelings of unsafety, acting out, PTSD, and you better believe whether they go into a space of um, really retaliating or, or a life of violence as a result, not all of them will. It will have an impact on this country in the ways in which people show up in their day-to-day lives. So please know that long after you have forgotten the feelings of anger and sadness and depression around what happened to our babies in Texas, long after you've forgotten what you are feeling right now, those kids will still live in the aftermath. Those parents will still live in the aftermath of sending their child off to school and they didn't return home. There will be a hole in their hearts, most likely until the day they die. So I want you to garner this anger and this depression and this sadness that you're feeling right now and use that to fuel you into action. So I want to invite you to decide right now what you are willing to do to end gun violence. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll begin our show today with a familiar guest, Emily Williams, who has been with us before. We're going to be talking about returning to the workplace and the racism that people face by entering into or returning back to work. Racism that people have some, in in little ways, been able to shield themselves from the daily microaggressions that occur by being in an office. So we're going to come back and I'll introduce you again to my guest today, Emily Williams. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
are back. And today we did not go into our routine meditation, but I want to invite you wherever you are, just truly to take a deep breath in and center yourself, focus yourself, and remember that the breath that you are actually inhaling in and out is a breath of life, but it's also a breath of power. And within that power is the sacred, that divine part of you that guides your every movement, that divine part of you that actually will allow you to make the appropriate decisions about gun control and dismantling racism and anything else that you are confronting in life. And I want to remind you of that power, your individual power leads to the collective power of making this world a better place. And that's why each of my guests who come on this show are people who are committed to change. And my guest today, Emily Williams, is a dynamic individual who's a strategist, and she specializes in reinventing organizational structures so that they model racial and gender equity. She made a decision to be fully committed to DEI systems of, I would say, reforming those systems because a lot of people have DEI systems, but they're really in name only. And Emily works collaboratively to create psychological safety in global organizations. And that is really important. She has led the development of diversity policies on national and global stages, including a global treaty to end gender-based violence and harassment in the world of work that was adopted by the United Nations. I could go on and on and on, but I've introduced her to you before, and I want to welcome back today my guest, Emily Williams. It's so good to have you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's good to be here. And I really appreciate you taking um, the time at the beginning um, to talk about the gun violence that we've all witnessed um, all too much. Um, and then also to really um, call on people to act. Um, and, and, and I'm with you in that call. Mm. Uh, and I also just would foreground um, how important disruption is, right? Business cannot go on as usual. Politics cannot go on as usual, okay? It's been more than enough. Um, and so I would also encourage people not to underestimate their power, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, call your representatives. Yes, call your senators. Yes, call on your governors and local politicians to act. But also you two can speak up about it, right? Mm-hmm. And disrupt business as usual, politics as usual, to demand accountability. And I appreciate that word disrupt because, you know, That's one of the things that we have become, it's become commonplace that we hear about a shooting, we hear about violence, we hear about another person being killed, and we go, oh, oh, that's just another person, and we go on, we we go back to exactly what we're doing, and so I love the the word disrupt, I think that's that's the word that we need to to focus more on, And, and you know a lot about that, because you yourself have You've disrupted gender-based violence and harassment. That is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, And I think it's true. And we have to disrupt things, right? Because the system is designed to just keep going, right? Um, And oftentimes it doesn't have those of us who people of color, gender minorities, um, people who um, are from marginalized economic or class backgrounds, citizenship status, ability. Um, And so because the systems don't have us in mind, so oftentimes they just keep moving, right, with or without us. Mm -hmm. So that's why disruption is so important. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit, um, Emily, I know we're we're going to talk about microaggressions, but This is what happens when we have guests on the show who are so knowledgeable about so many different things. There's so much I want to pull from you. But one of the things I think that stops people Mm -hmm. is fear. It's huge. So I imagine when you thought about disrupting a Mm -hmm. system of violence 
and harassment. Mm -hmm. There were some trepidation, I I would imagine. Talk to me about what gave you the, the courage and the commitment to move beyond the fear, to move beyond saying, well, if I do this, if I speak my truth, because sometimes people will will tap you to join them and to collaborate on something, but they don't really want to hear all the truth. So talk to me about your experience with this. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. That's such a great question. Um, And, you know, I have to start by saying that, um, you know, I come from a family of activists and community organizers. My grandparents were union organizers in the factories, um, and my parents are educators and community organizers. So it um, is a value in my family um, to speak up on our own behalf, but also that of others around us and those in our community. So myself, um, you know, in speaking up, in taking the risk of retaliation or any kind of adverse treatment in response to speaking truth, um, you know, Unfortunately, I've been in situations that have been so, um, so harmful, so challenging, so difficult that um, I was at a point where um, what I was experiencing, um, not only could it not continue, but I knew that it couldn't be uh, any worse than any other retaliation if I had spoken up. Additionally, um, you know, Bell Hooks, um, I saw her in a keynote once, and she had made the point that when you speak up, right, you cannot be victimized, right? You're not going to then be someone else's victim, right? And so I have come to learn through experience, also through study, through research, um, through my interactions with family and community, that to speak up is empowering, right? And even if we get the backlash, right? That one, that actually doesn't mean that anything is going wrong in terms of our advocacy, right? Um, And two, that we have to keep going, right? Because we can build something better. We can build better systems. We can build better workplaces. We can build better policies. But it has to start with hearing the voices of those who are most impacted and the voices of those who are marginalized, those who are on the fringes of society, right? Because those are the perspectives that we don't yet hear often enough. um, And we haven't built our systems um, around those experiences, right? And so for me, that's always the possibility of speaking up, right? Of something that's much, much better than the status quo. I love that you're saying that well, first of all, I love that you gave a shout out to Bell Hooks. And and it also shows that the power of one. So here's Bell Hooks writing her truth, speaking her truth. And she has had an amazing impact on people for years, years and years. And her work will go on and on and on. And we never, again, the power of one to impact the power of community. Bell Hooks started as I imagine, started out of her own isms that she experienced and being committed to writing about that. And so you hearing bell hooks, I mean, you were already doing the the work as well, but hearing bell hooks and, and how it moved you a little farther along the line and you saying, I'm going to be committed because whatever's happening as a result of it won't be worse than what's happening now. And here's the thing though, that I, that I think is um, interesting in that people don't know the psychological impact and the long-term effects that racism is having on them when it's happening to them personally. And for white people, people don't really look at the cost of racism. So some people might say, well, it would be worse if I started to talk because X, Y, and Z will happen, but not recognizing that you're already suffering. So can you talk a little bit about what are some of the psychological or emotional challenges that people have as a result of the microaggressions? Now, we're going to talk about what those are in a few minutes, but but let's just go ahead and jump ahead to what, what are some things that people experience? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important question. Thank you for that. Um, and I just talked about this on a LinkedIn Live um, yesterday evening, actually. Um, so one of the main psychological um, impacts of experiencing microaggression is the anxiety, right? So let's just say we have a supervisor. Actually, let's not even say that it's a supervisor. Let's say it's a colleague who's in our department and we're regularly in meetings together. So if I'm a person of color or a person who's impacted by microaggressions um, by that colleague, right, um, you know, in addition to preparing for my work day, right, getting my workload ready to present or to share, um, I also then have to think about, okay, well, what is this person going to say this time, right? Are they going to try to diminish my credibility and how do I continue to build myself up? Because I know that what they're saying is unjust, right? That it's unfair, that it's untrue. Now, the way that social identity functions in a workplace, sometimes things can be untrue, they can be unjust, but they can still be allowed, right? Because of who's saying them and the kind of social power that they have in that workplace, right? So then we have that feeling of injustice that we carry with us, okay? But then on top of that, we also, and I hear this all the time with my clients, right, is that there's so much pressure on us to respond, right? That we have to come with the solution to microaggressions, right? That we have to come to the solutions or with the solutions for diversity, equity, and inclusion in our workplace. So you have the toll of having to prepare yourself to confront microaggressions. You have to prepare yourself to actually deal with the impact of microaggressions because it's a myth that words don't hurt us. Okay, we can talk about that more later. But then also we have the pressure of responding in the moment because it can be such a disempowering experience. And then when you think about that after the fact, it can cause all kinds of emotions, anger being one of them, right? Which is, I don't like that this person exerted power over me in my workplace unjustly. And I have to deal with the impacts of that. I should have said something. I should have spoken up. I should have stopped it, right? So it's all of that pressure, right? All of that anxiety that weighs on us mentally, spiritually, physically, right? And I think it's important that you you mentioned mentally, physically, and spiritually as well, because when that anxiety happens, we actually start to respond and have behaviors that that uh, we become to normalize those behaviors. And we can say, oh, that's just the way I am sort of thing, but it's not just the way you were wired and the way that you are. It's that you have learned to normalize. We, sometimes when these microaggressions happens, we've normalized them in such a way that we don't even recognize that our behavior, we're responding based on those things because it's so unconscious. We learn, I mean, it's just like, um, you know, when I go in a store and I'm very conscious, let me make sure I'm putting this back on the shelf so no one will think I'm stealing. That becomes a normal behavior that you're not even thinking about, the wear and tear of that on your psyche all the time. So, you know, but we do have to take a, a, a really quick break. We will be back. And when we do come back, Emily, I would love for you to define what a microaggression is, because there's some people who are probably listening who are saying, well, what is a microaggression um, as well? And so when we come back, we want to talk about that. We'll be right back with uh, Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism, and my guest today is Emily Williams. Emily, before the break, I asked you to give us a definition. I wanted to hear a definition of microaggressions. Could you tell us what you mean by that? Yes, and let me start by saying it really does depend on who you ask. Okay. So now the dominant understanding or definition of microaggression has been subtle, often unintentional slights, right? That communicate a bias or prejudice based on a person's race. Okay. So there's often been an emphasis on the unintentionality of such, um, interactions, right? Um, And then also um, on the micro part of it, that these things are small interactions, okay? So now that's been the dominant understanding. Okay, now I work primarily with women of color who experience microaggressions in the workplace. And some of them experience microaggressions multiple times a day, right? And so when I talk with them, Um, The understanding is that microaggressions are everyday racism, okay, that they are abuses, right, that are committed by white people, also people of color, right, because they dislike a person's, the color of a person's skin, um, or, you know, they have deemed certain racial and ethnic groups inferior to their own, okay. So I think that that's incredibly important that we have to keep in mind that, um, who's who's sharing the definition who's talking about microaggressions um is is going to inform their understanding of the severity their understanding of the impact and their understanding of the urgency to actually address microaggressions Mm. you know and one thing i want to say because i'd love for you to give us some examples of these microaggressions but i also want to just point out that Sometimes that two two things can occur with people of color. Sometimes one can doubt themselves that what they're feeling, it's actually um, valid because one microaggression is micro invalidation, actually, where people kind of make you think you're crazy. Did I, did I really just experience that? I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, is that sometimes we don't even know that something is a microaggression because we, again, normalized it. I once was talking with a woman, we were doing some uh, training and she happened to be uh, an Asian um, American woman. And she was talking about how she didn't experience racism. She felt like she didn't experience it until we did this training together. And then she started to notice the ways in which people were actually engaging in microaggressions with her. So for instance, she recognized that when her parents were at the airport, they asked her parents for her passport, their passports. And she's like, my parents were born and raised in California. So like you're asked, that's a microaggression to assume that someone is from another country or just like, where, where were you born? Right because you're making an assumption that you don't belong here. And so once she began to open her her eyes, she could see a lot of things that were occurring around her that she didn't see before. We've normalized racism and aggression. 
so much so that we just think, it doesn't bother me, but it's picking away at a scalp almost. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing is that it, it is still impacting us, right? Even though oftentimes the nature of microaggressions is very subtle, right? I think one that we often forget about is that microaggressions can also be environmental, right? Yes. So one of the things um, that I think about when you go to like a university, for example, and you see pictures of all of the past presidents on the wall and they're all white men. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a microaggression, right? Mm -hmm. That's suggesting a subtle bias. Okay. So white men probably, you know, they also have other identities in common, perhaps religion, perhaps sexuality, right? Um, but these are the people who can rise to the highest level of leadership. These are the people who deserve to be here, right? Mm -hmm. These are the people who have the credibility. That too is a microaggression, right? Yes. Thank okay. you for pointing that one out because- mm -hmm. That is actually often not talked about when people give a list of it. But I love that you said, I actually just was teaching my class about uh, these microaggressions yesterday and talking about environmental microaggressions. Even when we look around, who's on, who's on television? Who are, the, who are the people that you see in the most powerful roles there? I mean, it goes on and on. So I thank you for giving that example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think one other thing that's been really interesting, um, particularly in this, um, you know, sort of remote working kind of hybrid working environment is that we've also seen increased microaggressions even in a remote work world, right? So now if you think about it, the idea that for the first time, employers had a glimpse into your home life, right? your personal life and think about all of the potential signifiers there around culture, around race, around class, right? And so we also saw more microaggressions or perhaps take a different form or a new form in this new way of working, right? Could you give us an example? Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. So like, for example, um, you know, let's say I have, um, and, I, and I do have African art in my home. Right. But so, um, you know, if someone were to say, hey, can you just put your camera a little bit closer so I can see that thing on your wall? Mm -hmm. But really, they're referring to, you know, perhaps some piece of art that I have, which is also has cultural significance for me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, too, you know, in a similar way, you know, people may feel actually emboldened to ask questions that they wouldn't in the office, right? Because they are in their home environment, right? Or perhaps because they felt as though there would be lack of accountability um, in a remote world, right? So if I were in a one-on-one -on -one meeting virtually with someone and they chose to say something inappropriate, let's say if my child were crying in the background, for example, or if I live on a busy street and, um, you know, perhaps they heard some people yelling or something, they might make assumptions and make comments about um, the economic status of my neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. we also saw microaggressions take on um, a new form in the world of work, right? But in remote work, in a hybrid work environment, mm -hmm. which I think is also interesting and important um, to note. Mm. So let me ask you then, because a part of what we're talking about are the, the aggressions that people experience at work, do you think that then the return to work, since there's the possibility of experiencing them virtually, mm -hmm. would you say that the return to work, though, is an added pressure than being at your home? and experiencing those microaggressions. Is there a different impact, do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. And research shows that 97% of Black workers want work to remain remote mm -hmm. or at least want a hybrid arrangement. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I think the difference between experiencing, experiencing a microaggression in the office versus in your home is that in your home, you at least have the solitude and the safety of your home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? mm -hmm. When you're in the office, anybody can stop by your office. You can mm -hmm. be called to meet face-to-face -face in person with a leader at any time. Mm -hmm. um, 
also, I mean, this is one that's so common. My clients experience this all of the time. Um, you can also be touched in um, uh, an office environment, right? Mm-hmm. Someone just comes to touch my hair, right? Yes. Someone pulls up my necklace to say, or, you know, a jewelry, right? To look more closely, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so you get in your personal space. Exactly, exactly. Which, you know, I would say is a micro assault, that mm-hmm. kind of form of microaggression when there's actual contact being made with your person, okay? Mm-hmm. So while we may still experience microaggressions in a remote work environment, um, our ability to protect ourselves, to protect our energy, to immediately heal from the microaggression and then get back to what it was that we were doing um, is much greater when we're working from home um, than when we are in the office. Mm. And you know what? It's interesting that you're talking about this because I, I actually just had a flashback about so many things when you're talking because here's the thing. There's also this expectation of what we can have and what we can't have or paying attention to us in such a micro, uh, at a micro level. I just remember as a much, much younger person, when I would go to work and this one man in the office would always say, is that new? Is that new? It was like at some director level, whatever I had on, I just knew how to mix and match my clothes. I knew how to dress. And he would just almost every day ask me if that's new. Why are you in my business to be thinking about what I have on every day? And so one day I just said, no, it is not. And I went into my office and then he looks at the secretary and goes, what did I do? That's, you, you, it's, the, it's the amount of detail that you're giving to my being when I walk in. And, and I was probably one of two uh, Black people in the, in the office. But the other thing that they would constantly do is ask me about my hair because I can wear my hair not anymore in different styles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I could I could wear it from extensions to if I wanted to blow it out, if I wanted whatever I wanted to. And there was always, you know, it wasn't just admiring, oh, your hair looks nice. But yes, there's a place for us to have the deeper cultural conversations, but it's it's just like you you, you feel like you're on the spot just walking in the office rather than you just appreciating who I am. And you know this to be the case because we see it all over LinkedIn and everywhere that people in the corporate world still today in 2020, I see young women who are talking about, I decided to wear my hair in its natural form today. And it can just be curly, you know, hair, but it's not blown out straight. And they're going, and it's, this is, this is huge for me in 2022 that we are having to have a conversation and to be uncomfortable with allowing our natural being just to show, right? That's an aggression. I wouldn't even say micro. It's an aggression. An aggression. It's yeah. Aggression. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Emily, of course we have to take a really quick um, break. And when we come back, um, I'd love for you to just um, talk a little bit about, because maybe we started it, but like the unconscious versus conscious microaggressions, if you could do that um, as well, I'd appreciate it. We're going to be right back to have a little bit more conversation with my guest today, Emily Williams. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. 
calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Emily Williams. We have been talking about microaggressions. And Emily, I know that there are some differences between conscious and unconscious microaggressions. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and I should say that, um, so I work with women of color um, and coach them to navigate exactly these kinds of challenges in the workplace, microaggressions, and then um, other challenges that result from them, things like not being promoted despite their credentials and their contributions uh, to their workplace and also their performance. Um, and so when I, um, when I'm working with women, one, and this is also my own experience, one unconscious bias um, that I hear over and over and over is this notion that, or when people will say, they'll tell a black woman or a woman of color, oh, you're just very articulate. Okay. Now that I think in many cases can be unconscious, unintentional, right? I think people may often mean it as um, a compliment, um, <clears throat> but what's oftentimes it seems to me is going on underneath the surface is that they don't expect um, a black woman or a person of color to be able to communicate clearly, effectively, incisively, right? Um, or perhaps they don't believe that, uh, they don't expect to be impressed by a woman of color's intelligence, right? Or a person of color's intelligence. Therefore, they say, this is the compliment that they then give, right? Um, and I think there can be other unconscious microaggressions, right? Things, um, you know, when people don't, um, you know, when they ask questions about, you know, where are you quote unquote from, right? Because, uh, you know, if your skin is of a different color than theirs or your hair texture is different than theirs or your accent is different than theirs, then they believe that you could not be American, right? Or have been born in this country. I think that can sometimes be unconscious. Um, now, oftentimes what I see in the workplace, things are very conscious, right? Or they, there is a pattern to them, right? So for example, um, one thing that happens often with the women of color who I coach um, is that they are often left off of emails mm -hmm. um, that includes information that they need to do their job, right? And that happens repeatedly. Now that uh, is more likely a conscious microaggression, okay? Now, often what I see, I also see um, committees being formed um, or, you know, teams being formed and they don't include people of color. They don't include high-performing women of color. Um, those things are also conscious, right? Mm -hmm. And they can be microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have things like dismissing um, a person's experience, right? Um, that could be related to um, their racial identity or another social identity, you know, cl class, gender, citizenship status. Um, and, you know, another thing that I see often is, unfortunately, a lot of people will talk about, will use racial stereotypes in the office. Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll also make jokes about those kinds of things. Um, and those things are conscious, right? Mm -hmm. the people are, are choosing to make um, those kinds of statements. Um, yeah. They're choosing to form their teams uh, without racial diversity or without gender diversity. Mm -hmm. um, so those things are conscious. 
So I, I want to just say something about a couple of the things that you said. I think um, another unconscious thing that people do is that when committees are formed and a person of color has been selected to be on that committee, this has happened to me actually a couple of times, and someone who was would consider themselves a, a friend, at least at the time, we were close colleagues, would say, oh, they probably wanted you on that committee because they wanted someone Black on the committee. And I would think, huh, I have a PhD. I know a lot about this topic. wonder if they want to have me on the committee because I'm knowledgeable. So all the people on the committee, they wanted to, so what that person was actually thinking was they chose you and not me, and it must be because you're Black. And not recognizing that the assumption is that you don't qualify to be on that because you're not white. And I think that that's really important for our listeners to be able to understand that when you make assumptions about who should be in a school, a a work setting, a committee, because people will say, oh, they're allowing all the black kids to come into the university and my kid didn't get selected. Well, maybe that black kid was smarter than your kid was. The other thing that I think is important to point out is because we, you know, I think we've talked about this on my show before, this this articulation word. Yeah. Often people don't understand why that word is offensive. And, and I won't go into the history of it, of that. But what I would say is, if a person is actually saying you are articulate because you broke this down for me in a manner that was clear and concise and that I could understand it, then use that terminology other than saying, oh, you're so articulate. Because I have, I have rarely, I don't, I don't even know if I've ever, but I'm going to use the word rarely because at my age, you know, I might forget. I don't hear white people describing one another as articulate. It has just not been my experience. Every time I have heard a person say, even in describing someone else to me, that they were articulate, always at the end of the statement, it was a person of color and typically a Black person that they were describing to me. And so it's very hard for me to live in this space that you would say this to it, to everybody because it's just not been my experience. Right. Well, and I share that experience with you. It's that's not been my experience either. Right. Um, and so, right. Um, and I think um, it's important for people to really look at their own bias, right. Their own biases. Um, and if they're confronted um, in saying, okay, well, that was a microaggression, right? Um, or they're asked, why did you call me articulate? Would you say that to, you know, our white supervisor to really look at that, right? Um, because, you know, the thing is, is that while microaggressions are subtle in nature, um, they often have a very great impact on the person who's experiencing them, women of color, people of color. So we know when we're experiencing them, whether or not we've been conditioned to respond to them or to write them off ourselves is a different question. Right. But so oftentimes we know that we've been impacted by it. Right. And yeah. yeah, And I, um, I actually, I have um, an ebook um, for women of color on how to respond to microaggressions at work. Mm -hmm. Um, And we get in deep to, exactly what to do when you have experienced a microaggression. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, how do you take care of yourself in those moments? How do you strategize your follow-up, right? Um, And then also, how do you make sure that your professional goals remain intact despite a work environment where microaggressions are common? Mm. So I would encourage anyone who wants to, um, who wants a copy of that um, ebook to join my mailing list. Um, And they can do so by going to my website, which is forwardeverglobal.com. Please spell that for them. Uh Forward Ever, F-O-R-W-A-R-D-E-V-E-R, global, G-L-O-B-A-L.com. Forwardeverglobal.com. 
Emily, I just want to just thank you for the work that you are doing with women of color, because we all need uh, help in navigating this system of racism. And so people of color need to do their own work around it, need to do their own healing around it as well. White people need to do the same thing. And it's different work sometimes. And then sometimes there's work that we need to do collaboratively. So thank you for that. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage everybody to uh, get on Emily's mailing list so that you can get a copy of this book. Because it's really, really important to our understanding of how to dismantle racism. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you to my listeners as well for joining us today. If you'd like to know more about the ways to dismantle racism and the courses that I offer, or if you want to pick up a copy of my book on dismantling racism, I invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com. That's sacredintelligence.com and pick up uh, a copy of my book, but also just really uh, take a look at what I offer. I want to invite you now to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest your good in the good in you and in those around you. Know that we are all one and we exist because of one another. So make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. 
Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.